Hey everybody, welcome to the Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast. I'm John Burke from BurkeReviews.com, and with me from across the pond is the Kingsman to my statesman, Matt Hudson from WhatIWatchTonight.co.uk. How is it going, Matt? Hey man, very, very good over here, mate. Uh, I've just been saying off here, I've been gorging on cakes all day, so I'm like, sugared up to the max here. But uh, I'm glad to be doing the BAMP once again with the statesman, as uh, Max von Sydow said in The Exorcist. There is only one statesman for me. How are you doing, John? I'm doing pretty well. Had a, a busy day so far because um, I, I got up and had to watch. This is like the first time I've ever had to like watch the movie the same day. Um, and, of course. And not because I waited. So like I literally, the movie came out today. So this was the, <laughs> the earliest I could watch the movie. Um, so I, I woke up this morning at like uh, 6.30 or so, made breakfast, and then watched the movie pretty much right away. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, well, cause I had, I had plans today. So like I, I watched the movie and then I was going to exercise, which I went to go to the gym, but the gym was packed. So I was like, no, no. Uh, so I just walked three miles instead. Um, and I'm going to try to go to the gym later tonight if, uh, if I can bring up the energy, but I was, uh, meeting some friends for lunch. And then we played, um, some magic, the gathering at our local card shop for about three hours. Like I literally have been home for maybe nice. an hour. Um, which I thought was fun with this movie. Cause there's a, a reference to magic, the gathering for like two seconds. Um, I don't even know so why it makes zero sense because they got even pretty specific. Those were real cards and he, he name drops a card and I was like, but for what reason it never comes back ever again. But, um, uh, yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I, then we're recording and then I'm going to make dinner when I get done with this. And so it's like, my day's just kind of whew, like gone, but, um, in a good way, all, all good things that I've, I've encountered for the most part. Um, maybe we'll find out if the movie was good or not, but, um, 6 30 AM it wants to be. Yeah, that's. Uh, I got a message from Big Tuna. Like, what was it about this movie that made you so excited? I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, you watched it at like seven. I'm like, well, I watched it because I had to. Like, I had to put it into the content. It wasn't like I was like, wait, I had my alarm set. Like, oh boy, Hillbilly Elegy's out today. It's like Christmas. It was like Christmas morning for, yeah. at the book residence. Right. I had like, oh, I had the God. alarms. I had like notes all over the wall. I've had an advent calendar for the release of this film going for you know. <laughs> Every day I got a little chocolate off on the calendar, and finally it's here. And not even Big Tuna is going to stop you. I usually watch the film on the day, as I mentioned. I usually put the put the small one to bed, and then watch the film because then when it comes when it comes to um, time to get the bamp on, it's straight in my head still. Jump times I watch it over the weekend, but I quite I quite like watching it straight before, which is what I which is also what I did with this one. But I'll let you take away of that. Well, so today we're going to be talking about Hillbilly Elegy. Uh, it's a 2020 release directed by Ron Howard, written by Vanessa Taylor. Stars uh, some big names. Amy Adams, um, Haley Bennett, who I will always say is a better Jennifer Lawrence. Uh, Glenn, Glenn Close, <laughs> Frida Pinto, Sonny Mabry, I'm guessing that's how you say that, and Gabrielle Basso. Um, really, our first four are the big four. Actually, I didn't go digging because I, I put this cast list together before watching the movie. So I don't know who plays the kid version of our main character. Um, I'll find that for you. But I hadn't I hadn't I wasn't overly familiar with the name, but I mm-hmm. I had seen it. So I'll find that for you, man. Um, but the premise of the film is a Yale law student drawn back to his hometown grapples with family history, Appalachian values and the American dream um, has a current 40 meta score. 
5.6 IMDb user score and a 27 Rotten Tomato, which is really low for a 40 meta score, to be honest. And then uh, it is a Netflix release worldwide today uh, when we're recording this, which is the 24th of November 2020. Um, just dropped for everyone to watch, and we literally watched it today, and we're here to talk about it. Um, and the way this works, since I intro, I go first, and mm-hmm. I don't understand what everyone is not liking about the movie. I also don't think this is a great movie. Um, but I will say, I I connect with overcoming crappy family stories because of my own issues with my own family. So I was mad at myself when this movie ended because I started crying. And at one point I really started crying. Like I had walked away from the TV and it hit me extra hard because I was thinking about it and it made me reflect on my own stuff. And I was just like, and these types of stories do work for me. Um, Whenever someone finds that education is a way of getting out of a horrible situation, I tend to connect with those stories as a teacher and as someone who values knowledge as a an important aspect of one's life. Um, mm-hmm. So even if I don't think it's a great movie, it still clicked at the end for me enough that I, I overall am happy to have experienced the story that is based on a book um, and this guy's real life, which you get all the, you know, the traditional biopic type stuff at the end with the photos. And this is what's happening now. Not a spoiler folks, because I'm not telling you any of what's happening, just that there are pictures mm-hmm. and they tell you about the real person. Um, I've not read any reviews about this. I haven't looked at what people are saying. I don't fully know um, what is the issue. My guess will be a lot of the people have read the book or are familiar with the story. And knowing that Ron Howard tends to be a bit of a vanilla director, he probably toned it down a lot. Um, would be one of my guesses. I don't know that for a fact, obviously, because I, I have no connection to the source material. Um, but I, I would I'd say it's it's you know like Amy Adams is doing things. I you know cool Glenn Close is in a kind of a lot of I don't know if it's a lot of makeup she was almost unrecognizable to me as Glenn Close um like I could see it but like you were looking past like the the way she looked to really see her in it Uh, I thought she was fine I didn't have any issues I actually liked the guy actor quite a bit um Mm -hmm. the Gabriel Bassos Gabriel Bassos uh, which I've seen he's not in a lot of stuff but I've seen Super 8 I don't really remember Super 8 to be honest um I've seen why uh, the Kings of Summer. I like that movie quite a bit, um, but I don't remember who he was in it. The only guy I remember from that was the kid from uh, Love Simon and Nick Robinson. Um, I guess mm-hmm. he was the other main kid. So there you go. Um, super not memorable apparently, but I I connected with him enough in this movie. Um, the stories, it's 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 there's a lot there. I mean, it's it's a melodrama for the most part in my eyes, and I I don't dislike it. I don't think it's a masterpiece. Um, I do think it's it's a. I do see uh, Big Tuna compared this to Roma um, when he okay. when he saw it ahead of time, and I can see that in the sense that it's like an adult looking back on his life and maybe trying to show more appreciation for people he maybe didn't fully understand at the time, right? Like in that way, mm-hmm. I think it's it's spiritually connected to Roma. I don't think that's what Big Tuna was implying i actually think he was referring to he thought it was going to get a lot of praise and then we didn't like it um Mm -hmm. but it's not getting a lot of praise uh at all from what i'm seeing uh but i i that's i want to read some reviews because i don't understand why it's getting so much criticism because i don't feel like it's bad um i wasn't wowed by it it's not a story that you have to hear but i do like hearing stories like this that you know and i think i think kids who are in situations like this 
need to see stories like this, that it is possible to overcome horrendous obstacles in your life, especially if those obstacles are put there by your, the people who are supposed to be taking care of you, you know? Um, and I, I don't know. I, I didn't feel like anything was in particularly bad. I, I think the Hans Zimmer score is, a, and he's, he's co- collaborating with um, mm-hmm. Dave Fleming. It's very, what, what I would expect. It's, it's kind of, telling you what to feel at the end of scenes, you know, like the scores there, I kind of zoned out on it later in the movie, but like, I think early when I first saw his name, I started kind of paying attention to it. It was like, yeah, okay. But that's, I'd say lukewarm on this. I, I definitely, again, it hit me emotionally and I was kind of mad because I don't think it should have. I don't think it earned that. I think that was a, a me thing, you know, like this is a, a topic that oh, yeah. just clicked for me. And I'm like, oh, I'm mad that I'm crying about this. Cause I wasn't like awed by this movie. I wasn't like sucked in completely, but I also wasn't like put off by this movie or, or whatever. Um, there's a couple of little like racial jokes that get thrown in. Uh, not too extreme, but I'm still like, yeah, you probably didn't need that. It didn't really add anything to the story. Um, Haley Bennett. Uh, I, I like her a lot. Um, Swallow if, uh, is a really weird movie, so I'm not recommending yeah. it, but it's a really great performance with her. Um, she, she does the stuff she gets to do here. I think she does really well. She, I don't think she gets a lot to do, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, that's um, that's kind of my take. I, I don't have a lot to say about this movie because I don't really think uh, nothing stood out amazing in a big way for me. Um, I, I again, I, I thought Gabriel Basso was kind of my surprise highlight because I'm a big Amy Adams fan, mm-hmm. and I don't know what it was about her, her performance that I wasn't really like. I wasn't into. Maybe it's just I wasn't into the character because of you know the presentation of said character but i I don't think it was a bad performance but i wasn't like oh man oscar performance here you know like it's just like okay she's Mm -hmm. she's doing things she's i i I know that the kind of talk is she's bitter after not getting the deserved oscar for arrival um and so she's just doing like all these kind of things uh so i don't know What, what what did you think um i don't i don't think it's a film that's deserving of 27 percent rt i'll say that a film that's apparently worse than the New Mutants this year. Um, wow, and not and good not, context with that. Thirty-three percent New Mutants again, only six percent, but every every percent counts in this uh, digital age we live in. I don't think it's a twenty-seven percent RT film by any means. If if I was gonna, if somebody asked me what what percentage would you give this, I'd shove it straight in like the fifty fifty-five percent for the reasons which you said that a, a film like this is going to hit different people. Uh, harder and that also yeah, it contributes to a lot of the problems with the film as well but obviously you've gone into this film and you've taken a lot out of it based on personal experience which is something which I haven't been able to do of course mm-hmm. so um, and in terms of the criticism I haven't read any reviews but from what I've he- heard just via like social media and things that have been popping up is that Ron Howard has taken J.D. Vance's memoir this uh Hillbilly Elegy. An elegy, I don't know if you know, but it's a poem that's written in elegiac couplets, notably by Catulus and Propertius. Oh, I'm not sure I, if you're aware of that, dude. But, I, I um, was slightly aware of that. I just literally just pulled that out of nowhere. So, um, yeah, apparently Ron Howard had basically swept over a lot of the controversy, took away a lot of almost what J.D. Vance was trying to put across and turned it into more of a, a Hollywoodized story about um obviously, you know, starting off from 
perceived perceived to be starting off from nothing and then getting to where you are and let's hopefully hopefully we'll have a happy ending we'll see but um I just found it was less about the message here and more about giving the performers a platform and I can't really in one hand I look at Ron Howard and think you know what you've got Amy Adams you've got Glenn Close you've got Hayley Bennett I mean what else are you going to do apart from and Freda Pinto what else are you going to do apart from say act but to me it felt a bit showy if that makes any sense it felt a bit more like you mentioned the the O word Oscars. Well, they're coming up. Well, mm-hmm. this is kind of ret- coming into Oscar territory now. A film directed by Ron Howard. You've got Hans Zimmer on board, Glenn Close, Amy Adams. They're gunning for Oscars between them. Put them together in a film. Surely it's surely it's made for the for the statues. But I just felt it was all a bit too showy. I wasn't a massive fan of Amy Adams here either. Really, I think I think I don't think the character's written very well at all. Mm. Uh, I don't know how much input J.D. Vance had on the film other than obviously the memoir but it just felt I don't know it just felt very kind of yin and yang performance wise it just felt like we'll do this and now we'll do that why I don't know just do it and make it look good make those roller skates look good just because I don't know it just looks it just didn't feel right Glenn Close really tries she hams every scene up she really is chewing the scenery and I think they did a great job of making it look like really hard nosed and older and they're really good especially when you see the character she is playing in real life the person sorry she's playing in real life she's like a dead ringer for her it's unreal but so glenn close was fine amy adams is fine glenn close i think was was good but again very showy and uh probably slightly better written i thought Haley bennett was very good mm-hmm. in the little that she had to do little. i think she felt real whereas amy adams and glenn close didn't feel real to me Hayley Bennett mm. did feel like a real character. Okay, uh, I totally agree for... with that. That's huge. I'm sorry, I don't usually cut you off, but I, that's such no, a good man. observation. I think that that deserved a little bit of a nod. So. I'll take every nod you give me, my friend. Uh, <laughs> no, bite him whenever you want, dude. Uh, but that's what it was, is when you see Hayley Bennett and her, and again, her her role is a lot different to what Amy Adams and Glenn Close have been asked to do, but uh, she pulls it off with a lot more sort of humility, a lot more groundedness. Uh, Frida Pinto... Kind of has a bit of a thankless task, really, but I like her. I think she's great. But Gabriel Basso, I agree. I was, when I was watching the film, I was thinking, who is this guy? Because I think he's really quite good in this. I think he's, I don't think he's, he's not going to cut. He's not going to get an, an Oscar nom. And again, that's not the be all and end all. We know mm-hmm. that. But I think he was good in it. And the the young guy, the young version was played by a lad called Owen Astalos, who was also in Patterson, which we mentioned quite a lot on this uh, podcast. But Love it. I don't know. I, I didn't. I didn't mind the film. You mentioned Roma. Oh, <laughs> um, I think I'd rather rewatch this in Roma. But I, I don't know, man. There was uh, I didn't find it as depressing and murky and gloomy as the rest of the internet found. I certainly didn't think it's as bad as the rest of the internet well, is finding. So I just what, thought it was it was all right. I wouldn't get up at six thirty in the morning for it, but no. it was fine. It was so, fine. Um, while you were speaking and I was listening, but I was also skimming some reviews on letterbox to try to like find why uh, what's going on yeah. David uh, Ehrlich, who I am a fan of, I know you've not always vibing with his opinion. I don't necessarily agree with his thoughts, but I often, I really appreciate his writing. Well I, think, I yeah. think he's very good at putting his thoughts to words. And um, from what I gathered from him and what I gathered from uh, a different critic, Matt Neglia, um, are, is exactly what I thought is that this is a very sanded down version of the book um, that the book's much more political uh, in, in a lot of ways. And this is 
very much not it, like there's a few like little references to political themes i think in this movie um yeah. and but they're as as i think howard would do is it's toned down it's it's very much about the sentimentality of it which is what hit me at the end and what i was kind of like why i felt like it wasn't really earned it's just like what howard went for um and so that does seem to be the kind of consensus is that the uh it's just not very biting because again Howard's a competent filmmaker. Even his bad movies aren't like incompetently assembled. If, if you want a solid movie, go to yeah. Ron Howard, and he's shown that he can do adaptations or real of real life accounts. Apollo thirteen, yeah, Rush, both very good movies. And I don't think this one's bad. I, I just think this one's it's not like particularly a great like. A, apparently, there's parts of the story like the guy's real life that are left out that I think are in the book, like. Mm-hmm. how because we don't really find out exactly how far his success goes i guess um but it does it hits some of the sentimentality stuff for me really hard i i kind of think structurally this movie takes some odd approaches with that as far as like when things are happening i think sometimes it's a little unclear um mm-hmm. because it is it's a non-linear story and it's it's going back yep. from his current time to his past time and i don't i don't think it does a really great job of like letting you know exactly when some of the past events are happening because even within the past events i think there's like i think they're not in linear nature it's not like he's flashing back from beginning to end it jumps around a little and i think that's where it gets kind of confusing um and also from perspective because it is supposed to be like his perspective but there's scenes that aren't in his perspective where he wouldn't have known the things that he's seeing so it's like well well he wouldn't know that that's what happened like if we're if this is a flashback of the modern day guy because that's what i feel like the framing is he is looking back at his life because of the events with amy adams in the present day yes and yet there are scenes that we cut to that are like well he wouldn't have known that like and there's narrative armor john yeah like stuff like that (laughs) like but if you're gonna if we're gonna try to find like why it's being so criticized that's what i'm looking at but uh I don't know if it's the portrayal of the of the like the Appalachian way of life, I, or I, I, because there's one scene in particular which I thought was a bit weird. Again, not going to give any spoilers, but uh, J.D. Vance himself was, you know, he's he's seen as he's seen as a hillbilly. That's what they, that's what the film's called, especially when he's in amongst the so-called high flyers. And you know, when when a group of people find out, you know, where he's come from and where where he lived, and they kind of it's sort of treated like a taboo subject. Almost like the room goes quiet. As if to say like, the hell is this? Who the hell is this dude doing amongst us? Whereas I thought that kind of clanged a little bit. And it didn't really feel right. And again, looking into it just now, that didn't happen. It was put in for the story. And mm. even upon first watch, they did kind of think, well, would they really, really look down on them for this reason? But as in to the to the extent that they did, obviously that people out some people are horrible, but to that extent or to that like, obvious extent, it was all a bit. That's what I mean. It was all a bit showing. It all just felt a bit kind of schmaltzy at times, and mm-hmm. you know, Ron Howard's trying to wring a Hollywoodized story out of something which has the roots to probably be a bloody good indie film, right? But uh, that's what I, I think too. Um, I think it, uh, this. I think the story is worth hearing. Um, again. It does. There are some definite negatives to it. Also, like I think some of the stuff that Howard leaves out, um, because I think the guy, I think the guy's like gone, like he's like super rich now. I think he like is a venture capitalist, which is, you know, um, (laughs) he's even farther removed from his his upbringing. I think, and that's Mm -hmm. worthy of note. 
that is for it to be kind of left out of the film, but uh, apparently part of the book is, I think, important because I think again he's trying to like he's not so far removed. It's like mm, mm, maybe maybe he is so far removed. Um, yeah, and and I, I you know I think again um, I'd like to I'd like to hear more of these types of stories, um, but not always like you know with with uh, centering around just white people you know like uh, there's other voices who have overcome obstacles like and i think it'd be i'm open to those stories too again not saying these stories don't deserve to be told but there's other stories that are are definitely not getting uh the big netflix you know release uh and it's weird too that they dropped it on a tuesday but i'm guessing that's mm-hmm. because in, when in a theatrical world when we had theaters um the Good Tuesday times. before thanks well the Tuesday and Wednesday before Thanksgiving there usually is a release because they want to bring in crowds on Thanksgiving Day. Yeah. Um so I'm guessing that's why we got this kind of odd date uh, of a a relatively big film. I mean this I don't know that it was going to have a big release before everything went down. I, I it seems like this may have been a Netflix original from some of the reviews, but I don't see anything to indicate that anywhere. Um but I mean Ron Howard directing with Amy Adams and Glenn Close both of which get a lot of Oscar nominations. This was clearly an Oscar play uh, mm-hmm. in pre-COVID time. And I don't think it's going to get any recognition though. Like it does, it feels like a really like missed play of an Oscar movie. Yep. And you know, yep. that's fine. Um, it's again, I Netflix don't films are sorry. No, Netflix films are like Roma last year and uh, other films. It's not like they, it's not like a Netflix original wouldn't get the Oscar bait. Mm-hmm. So it, it wouldn't be surprising if this was made for Netflix, but um, to be to be honest, well, I think we've mentioned it on past shows quite re- recently. Having no theaters kind of makes you see films in a different light. And to be honest, Hillbilly Energy for me is is a film which you know it lands on streaming. And do you know what? It probably works better as a on as a Netflix film yeah. rather than putting this out. I this wouldn't get a massive release, but I think more eyes would probably watch it on Netflix, which could be the same, which could be said of every film, but. Yeah, I don't know how many people rush out to see this compared to how many uh, will sit down and watch on, watch on Netflix. Whereas some other films, which are going to be dropping on streaming in the next few months, uh, I think they would get a much they would get a huge turnout streaming or cinema. So yeah, maybe it was the best place for this. Yeah, I think so. I think so. Um, but there it is. Uh, that's our review of Hillbilly Elegy. It is out now on Netflix, so you can watch it and give us your thoughts and feedback. Um, we're going to move on to our next segment, which is chuffed headlines. These are movie or pop culture news that have caught our attention since the last time we recorded. Uh, Matt, what caught your eye? Um, well, mine's kind of a, I've pulled the wool over your eye slightly with the headline for mine, because there is more I wanted to ask you. But the headline is Rihanna in Black Panther 2 rumors debunked. So uh, Rihanna, everybody's favorite umbrella wielder. She's not going to be in Black Panther 2, but nobody actually said she was. Basically, there was a, a cast list online had Rihanna uh, down as starring mm. and E news basically said, no, that's not true whatsoever. So Rihanna's not going to be in it kind of, it's the whole like, IMDB thing that anyone can go and put anyone on uh, in the cast list. Ah, and yeah, that's yeah, yeah. it. I'm not sure it was IMDB, but so for anyone who wanted Rihanna to be in black Panther two, I think I'm going to be the bearer of bad news there. But um, the part of the reason why I included black Panther two in this is because the uh, there's a story recently that came out from Kevin Feige regarding Chadwick Boseman, uh, the late Chadwick Boseman in that uh, sequel film. And they've said they're not going to CGI Chadwick Boseman, which is yes. good for yeah. one, for, for, for like, moral reasons, for 
financial reasons as well. So, what do you? How? how I wanted to ask you, put you on the spot, but how do they handle the character of T'Challa in Black Panther two? Do they do they write him off? Do they kill him off screen? Do they recast him and kind of, mm. you know, just you're not going to catch lightning in a bottle twice. Whoever steps into those claws has got a hell of a job and that's going to weigh on somebody's shoulders. Do they find a way to bring Michael B. Jordan back? I mean, how, I what, what do they do? You're Kevin Feige, let's say. What do you it, do, man? It is, it is, I mean, Marvel has recast, right? Like we've seen it happen Ooh. in the movies. Um, War Machine. War Machine. And I, I feel like there's somebody else. Um, the Hulk. Oh, well, yes. Which, I mean, that one, we, I think they also just try to forget like that movie never happened. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so we, we have a different Bruce Banner. We have a different, um, uh, we just said it and it's gone. War um, Machine. War Machine. Um, I can't remember his name in the films. Which was, uh, uh, Brody, I think. Um, Brody. Which is, which is very noticeable that he was recast because he was a prominent figure uh, with Terrence Howard in the first film. And sure. then he's well, just they made an allusion to it, didn't they? I believe they did. Um, and that was, I mean, so it's not unheard of to, to recast, right? And if you want to go back to even the original four Batman movies, uh, Batman Forever and Batman and Robin are in the same universe as That's Batman right. and Batman Returns. And we have Val Kilmer and then George Clooney. Um, and nobody, nobody said it last week and Alfred as well. Right. And nobody cared at that time, yeah. right? Like no one was like, people didn't like those movies, but it wasn't the complaint about Val Kilmer. Right. However, this is different because Michael Keaton still, thank goodness, alive and kicking and doing great when yeah. he does movies. Um, so you, I don't think you want to dishonor Chadwick Boseman by just like recasting him. Um, and I think there's characters within the universe that you could justify them becoming Black Panther. Like if, if uh, make a girl Black Panther, you know, his sister sure. steps into the role. Yeah, because yeah. everyone loved her anyways. Um, right. Like, so there's, there's character, there's characters within the universe who could easily step into the role, which is also in canon, right? Black Panther is more yes. than a person. Black it's Panther, title, isn't it? Yeah. right. He's a, he is a title that you earn by being the king of the tribe. Um, they so, showed that in the first film. Yeah. Right. That's the whole premise of Killmonger, which is the downside because that would have been a cool, like, re, you know, change Killmonger's character to become, mm-hmm. maybe he learns a lesson and he could have stepped into the role. Um, so that is, I hope they don't do that. Cause I, I hate a retcon there, course, but, yeah. um, but I, I, I think recasting is the wrong move. Um, when you have loved characters within the universe who could easily step into the role, granted, you don't usually want to kill a character off screen, mm-hmm. but in, I think we can all agree that it would be a justified thing here, especially if we give him a very noble, you know, send off or something, you know, oh, that's it. It's how they do it. Isn't it? Like we had the same thing in the rise of Skywalker oh, with Carrie Fisher. But right. Obviously, but then they managed to repurpose. And I think they did an admirable job. They managed to repurpose those force awakens, uh, deleted scenes and uh, things from the cutting room floor and insert her into the film. At times it was a bit janky and noticeable, but hell it was a, Good way to honour the legacy of Carrie Fisher and have her in that role because, similar to this role, Princess Leia, yes, she's been voiced by the people in animation, but Princess Leia, as film fans and pop culture knows, is Carrie Fisher. Yes. She is She is one and one is the other, uh, which could could have been said about Han Solo, but now we have Alden. Because I always argue to a lot of people that like Han Solo, for example, isn't Harrison Ford. He just happens to have played. The, the character is Han Solo. You know, Harrison Ford just brought him to life, but doesn't mean anyone else can't step into his shoes. Like Alden did very well. I but T'Challa, so. though, T'Challa, man, it's there's so much riding on it. And what he bought 
to the black community and the icon he created and everything. So, and obviously what we now know that he was fighting in real life as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a tough one, man. Do you recast or like, for the legacy of the character of T'Challa or do you honor the legacy of them? Of obviously Chadwick was a massive part. He was one of the, one of the key components, obviously with everybody else um, behind the scenes, but he's such a, he's such an integral part. Of that, for uh, sorry, he's such an uh, integral part of the MCU in mm-hmm. one film, like uh, of his own, and the other appearances that he is now that character synonymous with with Chadwick Boseman. Now I can't sit here and say they go, they can't ever mis- uh, right. recast because it's what's right for the character, and I think Kevin Feige knows that. But it's that hard decision of you're never going to please everyone. So is is there any kind of like sort of middle ground? And I I just don't know. I, I do think Coogler gets a bit of a say in this too. Um, Coogler mm, was mm. severely involved. Uh, and obviously if you've read the, uh, the essay that he wrote about Bozeman, um, the, the closeness the two had, I think he'll have a lot of input um, into this process. I, I don't see Coogler recasting it. Um, if he has, if he has any say in that, which I think he does, I think they trust Coogler. I think mm-hmm. Coogler's earned the respect, um, which is, I think is one of the most impressive things about Coogler is, is the limited amount of work he's done. And yet the, uh, the respect the he has garnered. Yeah. Um, yes. And, and he's done huge things. Like each movie has been exponentially larger. And yeah. um, so this, this next black Panther is a huge deal for him because this is one, it'll be his first sequel because he didn't do Creed two. Um, right now you just produced it. I think. Right. He did produce it, but he, he, and he has a screenwriting credit, I think just because he created Adonis, but Um, but you know, so it's a big deal for him too. And I think I, that essay says to me, there's no way he's recasting that character, Mm -hmm. um, because Bozeman is T'Challa. And even, I think, uh, in that essay, I think he talks about the, the voice, the accent choice that, um, Bozeman brought to it was, was Bozeman's inspiration, right? So like, do you just have a T'Challa who speaks completely differently, looks differently, like completely, like, I, I know we can get Man. past it. I know we can, but when there's again within the storytelling, there's mechanisms to allow the transfer of the character to someone else without doing that. I don't see a good justification for T'Challa being there. Like I think you would be better off letting like letting us hear something that happened, even maybe going taking a little bit of reality. He because he could have got sick, right? Like people in the mm-hmm. MCU, even super type people, can get sick, so he could have maybe had cancer. And that, like, you know, I don't know if that's Natalie dishonorable. Portal character in Thor two is or the, the, the Thor four has will have that. So there you go. Um, so I, I don't know, but I I obviously I don't know. I have no. I'm not like buds with Coogler. <laughs> although I have been talking about Coogler a lot because I'm teaching Creed uh, to my visual Come on tech the show, man. Um, but I I just I would be very surprised if Coogler has any say. I, I ultimately we all know Feige has final say. But I feel like Coogler is respected enough as a director and has done his stuff up. Um, mm-hmm. And I think uh, I think that we will see. Um, I, I think Siri will most likely, or Suri, excuse me, will end up being Siri. The the iTunes voice, uh, the Apple <laughs> voice, will become T'Challa. Uh, it'll just be would a robot. Be a left field choice. Um, and I, I think there's a few other characters in the just in the world of Black Panther who could step in and. It would we would all be okay with it kind of thing. Um mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't know. I'm curious to see what happens, but uh 
I, I I'm hopeful that they won't just recast him. I think it's I don't want them to cancel the movie or anything like that either. Which I of course yeah. I'm sure some of us were concerned that that could be the direction they go. It's like oh well he's dead so we just won't do this character. And I think that would be a huge mistake. But um, I think there's within the comics within the lore the fact that you can put the costume on someone else and it still be Black Panther but with a different character under the mask. I think that's the way to go. We'll we'll find that soon enough. And that's it. Sometimes a character can transcend just the film. You know I mean? What T'Challa and Traffic Bozeman hand in hand did, like we say, for, for the black community, for, for so many people, gave yeah. them an inspiration, gave them someone to look up to, also helmed the first Best Picture nominee superhero film, uh, also helmed as a billion-dollar film as well. There's a, there's, there's a lot to it like on for people's personal level, for cultural levels, for financial levels. You know, and I'm sure, obviously... There's a lot more important things in the financials, but look, this Disney, the MCU, they're they're going to be thinking about that. There's a lot to take in there, and uh, good discussion there, man. So we'll find out For soon. Sure. But what was your headline though this week? So mine is is not. We're not going to talk about the topic as much as what it implies. Uh, but it's the uh, Wonder Woman 1984 or WW84 is going to be in theaters and HBO Max on mm. Christmas, and the big deal. Because we've not, this is not the first big major blockbuster to have been released like this. Realistically, I guess you could say Trolls, but I think Mulan was the first big, like it had been pushed back and then decided to be, get dropped mm-hmm. straight to Disney Plus. But Disney Plus, you had to have a subscription to Disney Plus, and then you had to pay twenty dollars to see Mulan. Um, until in fact December third, I think it goes free to everyone with Disney Plus. Like if you have Disney Plus, mm-hmm. you will automatically be able to see it. But, um. So that that was the $10 subscription fee plus $20, or maybe it was 30 was to rent the film. And that was to rent it um, until it's officially on Plus. Now, there is no additional charge. From what I, I read, it, it says it's going to drop on streaming. If you are a subscriber to HBO Max, it's free. So on yep. Christmas Day, as a gift to the world of subscribers, um, HBO Max is going to let us see Wonder Woman 84 or in select theaters. And I say select theaters, not because they're going to put it in select theaters, but because there's only select theaters still open right now. <laughs> exactly. Um, and so, you know, I don't know if it's going to be in drive-ins or not. It might be, it's not going to, it's not like we have Chris Nolan, who's going to say, no way the projection quality on a drive-in is just not good enough for my movie, but it might. Um, this is a big deal for a lot of reasons. Uh, one, because this is the, this is a huge, like, I think you could make an argument that Mulan was supposed to be a tentpole blockbuster, but I think it, on the grand scale of our movie summer type stuff that's been happening for the last 10 years is comic book movies are the big money making blockbusters. And yeah. considering how good Wonder Woman did in the box office, there's no question that WW84 was expected to do gangbusters. It's the yeah. last kind of thread of the DCEU as they pretty much have dropped it with a uh, Joker and their, and, and the, the Batman, you know, like the, this is the last movie uh, we have Shazam two coming and the stuff that are supposed to still be kind of tied to this, but it definitely feels like they've, they've stopped trying to franchise and they're more about the individual movies right now. So this one was a, a big movie for them to decide to just drop streaming uh, because it is going to be a financial loss there. I, I have no, there's no box office. Like there's going to be a nice. small box office, but it's just not going to do it. Um, and yes, they might get more stre- more people paying to stream on HBO Max. Um, and I think HBO Max is like fifteen dollars versus the normal like ten that like Netflix and Prime and uh, Hulu are all. 
So that's another kind of like, ooh, will people want to do that? But there's a lot of, to be honest, I've had it since launch um, because of my cell phone company. But I like HBO Max. I, I've been watching some stuff I'm going to talk about in a few minutes on HBO Max. I'm stoked because I already have it. I'm like, sweet. I get Wonder Woman in a month and I'm excited. But I love going to the theaters. This is where we have talked about for months now um, about the, our fear of what can happen to our beloved theater going experience. And this is the, to me, it's like one of the final nails in the coffin that says theaters are going to die. If this does well enough, if they get the subscribers where they feel like this is a, a reasonable, sustainable model to still make these big blockbuster style films with a hundred $50 million budgets or more. And they, and just dropping them on streaming. If they find this to be a feasible process, either theaters will die or we will see a death of these big blockbuster type movies. And we're going to see it dumbed down to a smaller budget, which could be good because I love indie movies that are only 20, $30 yeah, million. Dollars. But um, I don't know that, you know, I don't know if, if your general movie audience wants the, the movies to scale back, you know what I'm saying? Like to go back to less special effects and mm-hmm. things like that. Um, and watching a show that I'm going to talk about in a minute and seeing what a, what a superhero show or a series can look like on a low budget. It's not, it's not great guys. We want the, if they're going to make comic book movies, we want big budgets. That's, that's the lesson I've learned. Not too big. Cause then you get like, as much as I love black Panther, some of the worst VFX in the, the MCU oh, happened in black Panther and Thor Ragnarok, to be honest. Um, those two have some really bad VFX moments, but um, when they're good, they're, they're really good, right? Like mm-hmm. when those scenes pay off, like Endgame, uh, when that, when everybody shows up, the VFX are amazing. So lots of lots of things to kind of branch off of from here. But I am I'm always afraid of our theaters not reopening. And I think this is a, a bad sign that this big of a movie is getting dropped to a streaming service before before 2021. Because like I, I had already resigned that this movie wasn't coming out to like May. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, yeah. and now we're getting it in December all of a sudden. And I'm like, ooh, that's not good. Because to me, that's the studio thinking, yeah, there's probably not going to be theaters to open in May. Yeah, that's, that's it. So that's my concern is that we are either that or they're already thinking that because to be fair, this came at the same time the vaccine news started dropping. So maybe they would jump the gun a little bit and they're like, crap, the vaccine might actually be out and theaters might reopen a little earlier than we thought safely. Uh, but yeah, I don't know, dude, I, I'm very I'm excited to watch this, but I'm very, very stressed out about the future of our cinemas. Well, it's definitely the most high, high profile film to be dropped on streaming. That's without a doubt. You've said it. Everything you've just said is true. This film would have made big bucks. Mm-hmm. Whether it's cracked that billion, it's, I'm sure it would have got pretty close to it in a in a pre-COVID or a world where COVID didn't exist. Wonder Woman 84, well, it already would, would have been released and it would have been raking in big cash. Um, so to see it dropped on streaming, I was, and select theatres, but like you said, select being the word. I mean, how many is that? To see it to drop it on streaming and also say, well, if you're an HBO Max subscriber, you're not, you don't have to pay any more. That's how you do it. That is how you make. That's how you drop it. Whereas, like we mentioned, Disney Plus, there was so much crap surrounding the Mulan um, release with the whole rental thing. Then every other streaming service gave it as part of standard. About a week later, it's just really, really badly handled. But this has been handled well, and there also might be the case of maybe Warner Brothers have looked at this and thought, "Do you know what? There's going to be so many films pushed back into next year." Wonder Woman, it may not have the space to perform as well as it would have done because yeah. there's just a massive backlog. Even though it's Wonder Woman, it, will it make as much money when it's potentially got at least one or two other big films next to it 
just because of the circumstances of this year. Who knows? Or maybe they just think, actually, let's just shove it onto streaming services because it may not do that. It might, might not be the best film. Who knows? And from what I've read, wait and see, guys. But the other thing I found really, really interesting about this is it comes out the 25th for, uh, for my statesman. United Kingdom, it comes out on the 16th of December, which was, oh. part of the, which was part of the deal. The deal was that, okay, the United States can have it on streaming, fine, uh, and select theaters on the 25th. You don't pay for it if you're an HBO subscriber. But the rest of the world who doesn't have HBO Max, oh, well, how yeah. are we going to watch it? So they're dropping it a week or too early. Now, let's, let's be real, guys. We're living in a digital age. We mentioned that on every show. This opens on the 16th of December in, in the UK and internationally. It will be online on, you know, dodgy websites on the 16th of December as well, unfortunately. That is, I think that could seriously affect how many people watch it on HBO. I don't think it's going to just derail the film, but there will be some people who think, well, I could sign up for HBO Max or I'll just watch a, a crappy copy online. Yes, they're missing out on the spectacle, but, you know, there are people like that out there. So there's that whole piracy issue that they've now thrown themselves into that and also they'll see the, the whole spoiler thing there will be fans who don't want to know what happens on the 16th of december wonder woman spoilers will be all over the internet and now our our um stateside friends have got nine days to avoid them which so there's that as well so it kind of and, and i know we have the international window where sometimes you go it when we had theaters you'd get yeah. films early and everyone has but i don't know man i do, i'm sure they could have come to a different arrangement than this but hell look I, i'm not going to go see it in the cinema probably because i don't fancy catching anything but yep. um if i do it better be good but then i can't talk about it with jb for nine days uh until yeah. or whenever it is that john sits down to watch it because i don't know i don't know how i don't know how many people sit down to watch a blockbuster on christmas day or go out to theaters on christmas day i don't I know do. how many people really do that jb um, does so that's so yeah. he may sit down and watch it on christmas day but i don't know i think i think it look it's great that Warner Brothers have just said, right, we could sit on this or we could just give the fans what they want. The fans want to watch it. Let's give them the film. If you're on HBO, you don't have to pay for this. Great. Wicked. If you're not, 15 bucks, it's yours. It's cheaper than a cinema ticket anyway. Uh, so, or you, if, if you can go and watch it at the cinema if you want. Internationally, you guys get it a week early because you haven't got HBO Max. You've just got to pay the price of admission and wear a mask for a few hours. Great. We're, everyone's a winner. But it's the whole financial financial thing. How much money do they stand to lose from this? In one way, I think it's admirable that Warner Brothers has basically said, "Look, we're gonna we're going to make a loss because this film may not this film may not come out for another year yet. We don't know what's happening in the world yet. It could be that they think theaters are going to open, or like you said, it could be that they're thinking, well, cinemas aren't going to be open till June and July. How many films are stacked up against us already? Let's get it out. It's ready." Let's get it out there. Let, let's be the film people are talking about at Christmas and mm. that. Let, let's 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 be that end film that people are talking about. So on one hand, it's good. On the other hand, it, it is worrying that when they drop a film as big as this, because then you think like, what about Black Widow? I'm thinking, what about bloody Ghostbusters next year? I want to watch that oh, in the cinema. But me too. Um, it's it's got pros and cons to this, man. As long as it doesn't damage the theater experience when it comes back, this is a great move. Yeah. I'm I'm excited to watch it. Um, I did note uh, this will be I think one. I'm not a hundred percent on this, but I feel like this will be the first Thanksgiving in years that I'm not going to see a movie because I usually go to the movie like oh, wow. after after dinner kind of thing. And um, 
at the theater. And so like the fact that that's not even really an option for me, uh, unless I drive pretty far. Um, and again, I don't even know what's playing that would be worth risking COVID on Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I'm not planning on it, mind you. I'm just saying, like, it's 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 a tradition course, for me. Yeah, yeah. I've been going, I think, since high school, like, on Thanksgiving. Like, when my friends first got cars, like, that's what we would – they'd pick me up on Thanksgiving, and we'd go see a movie. And I'm pretty sure I've gone pretty consistently. Maybe not every single year, but the fact that I can't this year is kind of sad. Um, I know I saw Wonder a couple years ago. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, and there's plenty of movies to watch here, obviously. But um, but that's, that's it for our headlines. Um, two comic book headlines but they were bigger conversations than just comic book movies i think and that's worthy of mm -hmm. note uh let's look at what we've been consuming this is media consumption movies tv video games podcasts that we uh use to pass the time um between our recording episodes and our other responsibilities to the world matt what have you been uh consuming a mixed bag this week my friend oh man um i'll save one to the end because it always ties in with one you've seen but good god what a week um uh, in terms of films, for for MPM Moving Picture Madness, <sighs> we're doing a one that was we're do, we mentioned it last week. I watched the Outlaw Josie Wales because we're doing a every now and then we're picking up the one thousand and one movies you need to watch ah, before yes. you die book, picking a random number on air and whatever film whatever page it lands on, that's the film we watch. And now we knew that it could potentially give us a film we you know a classic a film we really wanted to see, one we've never heard of, or it could give us a film like the one I watched this weekend called Il Vangelo Secondo Matteo, in English, The Gospel According to St. Matthew, which is a 1964 black and white biblical epic about oh. Jesus, basically. Two hours and 20 minutes long. Now, I'm saving all my thoughts for the episode which comes out uh, on Monday. Uh, tone of voice may say an awful lot, yeah. But Jesus, indeed. But hell, it's what we do for podcasts, and so I'll save that. Uh, Death by Pod, we're watching the Woman in Black. We're talking about that. Uh, we've already like spoken that. about that, in fact. Yeah. The uh, yeah, Daniel Radcliffe 2012 um, adaptation, which another haunted house film, which was significantly better than Winchester. Um, oh. I remember when this film came out because there's a lot of hoopla surrounding it because it was uh, Daniel Radcliffe's first role post Potter. So there, I remember it over here in the UK, it's quite a big deal, actually. And so I remember going to watch it, and I rewatched it for the first time in eight years in anticipation for that show. Um, I don't mind The Woman in Black. I think it's okay. It starts off well. In the middle bits are right. It tails off a bit at the end. But I really want to see the stage show of that. I've heard the stage show is like bonkers good, really quite frightening as well. Um, so they're the films. I haven't really watched many films other than today's film as well. I haven't really watched too many films because... It's been again. It's been really busy this weekend. Mm -hmm. Just like doing like, like like real world like adulting kind of stuff. Um, so, so that's been taking up most of my time. But they're the films I've watched: The Gospel According to Saint Matthew. And then tonight, today, actually, in fact, I, on Netflix, I watched a documentary called American Murder: Family Next Door, which was recommended to me. I've heard about this. Yeah, jeez, I was. Re it's recommended to me on the basis that. It's pretty grim, it's pretty bleak, it's pretty depressing, and it will make you angry. All four of those were right. I I, I watched it, and I was like, it's really good. It's You know, these all the, every true crime documentary is edited very well, sometimes in a manipulative manner uh, or to mislead, but it's edited quite well, this is. I, I quite really quite got into this, but God damn, I almost swore then. 
come the end of it, I was like, right, I, I'm on a one-man crusade to rid the world of evil after watching this. this there were some moments in this where I was like, damn, those onions are cutting themselves because I can't help myself. There's one moment towards the end when I was just like, I can't handle this anymore. It was just so like, so just upsetting to hear. It was just, it was just like, wow, this is... It's just something else. It's a really good documentary, and I use that term loosely because I, I, true crime's funny to me because I was... Um, saying to uh, the woman indoors here that true crime is funny because it, it, it really happened. This is something that actually happened. And they, they tell you that, you know, they're not, they're not saying this is fictional. This actually happened. But we view it as if it isn't real. But it is. Obviously, there's people out there, who they, the family members, surviving fa- mm-hmm. they you know, they've got to go through this again because this film, come, this documentary comes out, it gets publicity. You know they they got to re they got to remember everything that happened. It's I find and true crime podcasts are like so they're in they're the most popular they genre are. out there. Yeah, and it's really quite odd, isn't it? It's morbid fascination with these true crimes and like sometimes quite vile, horrific, disgusting acts like this documentary portrays. But people really are into it, and that's not that's not a slight on people. I just always find like a really strange sort of dichotomy that something so horrible and real can sort of draw such interest in people but anyway yeah, american murder the family next door if i can recommend it i will do but do go in with a bit of a um do go in with a bit of a advisory warning that it may be a bit uh distressing for some and the the final thing i watched which i know jb did so we always tie in yep the mandalorian season two episode four chapter 12 the name has gone the siege it was called it was called the siege mm. Uh, I uh, Carl Weathers directed this Apollo Creed, and I really like this one again. I take I've taken off my Star Wars fan hat. I still really enjoyed this episode because it gave us something a bit different. We don't spoil it on here, but it changed up a little bit of the established status quo in terms of who who we focused on for this episode. Ah. It wasn't all Mando. It was other characters got more of the focus, which I quite enjoyed. There was some bonkers cool action in this. There was some good laughs. Um, some un, some like big big reveals now we we i think we know where we're going for the rest of the season i think we're now we're going for all the rest of the series in terms of what we're setting up now um so the setup was tantalizing and put my star wars hat back on that setup was bloody brilliant i can't wait to see what's happening next we this speculation i went into overdrive but i think i thought it was really decent obviously everyone is anticipating this week's episode for characters who are more than likely going to turn up, potentially only at the end or for a bigger role. But I'm all here for Moff Gideon. I've said it every week. I'm here for Giancarlo Esposito. That man has such a presence, and he always does. He always has a presence about his characters. But Gideon is great. They're using him like the shark in Jaws. They're not showing him much, but when they do, this man means business. So give me all the Gideon. But other than that, I had a really good time with the Mandalorian, and fingers yeah. crossed that they can give us another good one um, tomorrow. But what did you think of The Mandalorian and what else have you been catching up on? Well, I thought it was a bold move um, to uh, include um, Admiral Jeff Blue Jeans. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, same. No, um, yeah, I, I like the episode. I do feel like I'm, I have been multitasking with TV. And so anytime it's a series, I am putting it on while I'm doing things. And I mm-hmm. feel like I might need to like not do that with Mandalorian. Cause I, I feel like I'm like in the dark after every episode. People are like, oh, did you see this? I'm like... Apparently not. Apparently, I need I to writing. just give it a hundred percent of my attention. Um, to because they're like 
so many Easter eggs and stuff. I, I am, but I did enjoy it. Um, I've enjoyed the season so far. Uh, but again, I definitely, I have every episode. I'm like, I clearly missed something. So, um, <laughs> I, I need to, uh, to really give it my all. I, I, I do enjoy it though. That's the thing. I'm not opposed to rewatching it because I really am having a blast with it. I do think it's, uh, aside from last Jedi, I think this is the best star Wars content we've had since the, uh, the original trilogy. Um, Good man. and rogue one. Uh, I, I do like rogue one. I don't, um, I need to rewatch Rogue One. I think I, I was a little sour on it when it was over uh, just because it, I don't know. I like Star Wars to be fun and Rogue One yeah, is I guess, yeah. a little more serious. Um, rightfully so. I think it should be, but it, you know, it didn't, I didn't walk out like I just watched a Star Wars movie. You know what I'm saying? Like it was like, uh, that's um, true. the final third for me is the best Star Wars that's ever Star Wars ever. As like far as wars. Third. Yeah. 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 For from sure. The, the entire battle of Scarif up until the end is literally like, this is incredible. But what well, the only other thing about the Mando is I've said on this show last week and on the sessions that I know he's a bounty hunter and I know it's his profession, but I am starting to worry that every episode is going to be, I need some help. Ah. You need to first. Can you do something for me though? I'm quite worried that we're going to do every, I think, yeah. I think now we're not going to do that, but depending on this big character who might be coming in next week, they may also do the same thing, but that's the only thing I worry about is it becoming, it doesn't feel like singular at the minute. It does feel like one, this season has actually connected very well, the episodes, but it is still kind of like mission of the week. And I do kind of want them to get away from that a little bit. I think mission of the week could be good though, but it's not necessarily because then like, cause you know, like if you watch like the X-Files or even supernatural, they have the uh, seasonal arc, but then you have like the one-off like monster of the week type episodes and those episodes are sometimes some of my favorite episodes. So I'm not opposed to the idea, but you do want a unifying kind of thread um, to make it to, to build the stakes so that you do feel like you have to watch every episode. Um, I think it's the way they kind of also, sorry, just a final no, point. No. I think it's also the way that every, every episode pretty much has said, not quite verbatim paraphrasing, but literally yeah. that is like, I need, You're I right. need, I need your help. You are right. That's fine, agree. but you have to help me. And they lit and they kind of, it's almost like they're winking at the camera and I, if they don't do that, it's fine. But sorry, my friend. Uh, no, no, what other agreed. eclectic delights have you been checking so out? I, I listened to my favorite podcast, the Blank Check Podcast. Uh, they dropped the Castaway episode this week. Also, they had the, uh, if you're a Patreon subscriber, the um, Alien Resurrection commentary, um, <laughs> which is, yeah, not a that good movie. Fun. Actually, they had more fun with it than they were expecting. They kind of went in with like the, oh, this is the worst. But um, I think maybe if you take that movie as a kind of like a b film it's probably mm-hmm. a little bit of fun um there's some weird crazy choices like i i had forgotten the uh one of the alien designs in that movie which i won't say why it's so oh, weird God, but it's yeah. so freaking weird um yeah, but and then castaway is a movie i did not i was gonna rewatch it i actually turned it on and like as it was starting i was like no i don't feel like watching this movie right now i am not a big fan of castaway um i've only seen it once i saw it when i it, like right after it came on home video and I just was like, this is, it's so whatever. And I think I was a little over the hype. And I did go through this weird phase where I acted like I didn't like Tom Hanks. I think it was just like, you know, that like almost a hipster mindset mm. where I'm just like, whatever, Tom Hanks, just because he's in a bunch of great movies and he's a terrific actor and a nice guy. Yeah, Tom, you um, geek. Yeah, now I'm a big Tom Hanks fan. But at the time, I think I was kind of like trying to be like the, no, whatever. Um, I don't know why. I just was. And uh <laughs> <laughs> but um, I so I, I didn't rewatch it, but listening to the podcast, I kind of feel like I still won't love the movie. I, I don't think it's a bad movie. I just don't think it's something I want to sit through again. Um, like I'm sh- 
I don't know. It just feels intense. Like the whole idea of like being stranded on an island is scary. I don't want to sit through it. But um, I've been playing some games and stuff. So I've been putting stuff on in the background. And I I, uh, I watched um, my, my film students are going to be watching uh, Dracula and Frankenstein from the Universal Monsters. And there's a few I've never seen. And so I decided to, um, earlier this year, I watched The Invisible Man after the new Invisible Man came out. I was like, I want to see nice. the original. So I watched that. Really like that. Uh, so I watched The Mummy. And the Bride of Frankenstein, back to back, because they're only like seventy minutes, which is something I like about the Universal Monster movies. They're they're in and out. Um, really like the Mummy quite a bit. Um, I'd heard a lot of people really love Bride of Frankenstein. I didn't dislike it, but it wasn't. It didn't feel like a horror movie to me. Like parts of it felt more goofy. And then it, I think it takes a pretty a good dramatic turn towards the end. Um, and so it wasn't what I was expecting, but it, not in a bad way. I, I thought it was pretty interesting. Um, I, I I actually have never read Frankenstein, which I feel dumb for having said that out loud, but because uh, it is like a beloved book and whatever. But um, I think Bride of Frankenstein tries to retcon some stuff that Frankenstein did that deviated from the book, like dramatically. Um, if I'm right, I could be wrong because, again, I've never read the book, but uh, they do frame it with uh, Mary Shelley's actually telling the story at the beginning of the movie. Um, like it's said, like they're talking and they're like, oh, well, here's the story I would write. And then it's like the Bride of Frankenstein plays out. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. Um, they also have to retcon the end of the movie Frankenstein to make this one work, um, <laughs> which they do in the movie too. It's not like they, they don't just ignore it. Like you actually see like the continuation from the end of the first film. Um, but then the movie that I had been waiting to see for at least three or four years now, um ghost dog the way of the samurai has been almost impossible to get a hold of it's been out of print it was not available digitally on any service uh the criterion print finally dropped on the 17th i think um and i got mine in the mail like two days later and i finally sat and watched it um i'm a big jim jarmusch fan like ever i've not seen every movie he's done but i obviously we keep talking about patterson patterson's my favorite jarmusch film i i adore that film It, it works for me in every way um, I've seen Broken Flowers once. I've seen uh, Only Lovers Left Alive. I saw uh, The Dead Don't Die in theaters. Um, and there's one more that's not clear. Oh, and I've seen Coffee and Cigarettes, and I think there's still one more I'm not thinking of. Uh, but I, I, I like all of them. Um, Patterson's the only one that made me like, I have to rewatch this as many times as I possibly can. Um, Ghost Dog, I think, might actually be the second of Jarmusch's films that I'm going to return to on the regular. Uh, nice. Um, I really like so much about this film and obviously there's actually a weird uh, Frankenstein connection because one of the characters uh, has a, a lunchbox full of books that she carries around and one of the books is Frankenstein um, and every book in it uh, very Jarmusch style every everything in the film is is about the character it says something uh, the Criterion print I was super excited um, because it comes with uh, most Criterion movies come with a pretty big book of like essays and reviews and stuff um, yeah. and it has that. And I opened it up to read it, which I've not done with some of my other criteria, but I was really into this movie. Cause I really like, I like trying to figure out what Jarmusch is doing. And when I opened the big book, a little book came out, which was the way of the samurai, which is the book, the character is reading in the movie. And I was like, super excited. I was like, Oh my God, this is so cool. That's um, cool. And I hope Corey has opened hers before hearing this podcast. If she listens to this, because I don't want to spoil Ooh. that experience. Cause I didn't know it was in there and I opened it and it fell out. I was like, Oh my God. Um, it's a really cool movie. I didn't fully know what it was when I was going to. I actually remembered the trailers uh, in 99. Like, I think it was on some of the, the VHS tapes I had. So I saw the trailer like tons of times. I thought it was really weird mm-hmm. um, because it is. It is a little weird. It's Jarmusch. Uh, you it's know, there's a strange film. It, it is. Have, have you seen it? I have. Not for a long time. So if, uh, yeah. I, it's a unique film is how I'd call it. Yes. 
It, it, it is. It's very contemplative, which is what I love about Jarmusch, is that he does want you to sit and think with the character. I actually think in a lot of ways it mirrors Patterson. Um, you have voiceover. There's instead of poetry, you're getting this uh, these Japanese quotes from um, from the, the way of the samurai. Um, and Some I also think there as well. Uh, yeah, uh, the RZA does the soundtrack and the yep. score. Um, who is uh, the Wu Tang Clan or recurring element of Jarmusch's style? Actually, RZA's in a couple of the movies. Uh, my my favorite scene from Coffee and Cigarettes is the Wu Tang Clan sitting with Bill Murray. Uh, Bill Murray is the waiter. <laughs> um, so obviously that's going to click for me. And then uh, RZA's also in the Dead Don't Die. Um, and, uh, so all of that worked for me, but, um, I think there's to a degree, it's almost like Patterson and Leon, the professional kind of merge together in this movie. Obviously, uh, Patterson would come later. Um, so it would not be an inspiration on this, but you can see like that kind of quiet contemplative poet. Also both movies set in New Jersey. Um, again, I, I, I have not re- like gone back to look if Jarmusch is always setting his films in Jersey. I know only lovers left alive is like Michigan. I think if I'm not mistaken, um, and Dead Don't Die is a, a fictional town, I'm pretty sure, um, because of the song title or something like that, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. But uh, both Patterson and, and Ghost Dog are set in Jersey, although he doesn't officially say Ghost Dog's in Jersey. It is it is uh, indicated that it's Jersey from a few different sources that I looked at. But I, I really I'm super glad about my Criterion purchase. I It's a movie I think I will revisit. Um, it is weird, but I think it's great. Forrest Whitaker is fantastic in the film. Yes. Um, and I. I like all of the uh, the mafia guys that are none of them feel like regular mafia guys. Um, they're not people like I recognize kind of thing. Um, I think they're all really good, actually, or at least at least three of them are really good. And it's in that weird kind of Jim Jarmusch. There's like a, a tongue in cheek comedic presence to some of the stuff that would otherwise be treated very seriously, which is, again, where I think it has that Leon the professional kind of vibe because Leon the professional is weird. Like it's Luke Besson being very Luke Besson with like a very mm-hmm. quiet hitman character with john russo and um yeah i i like both of those movies I, ghost dog though just i don't know there's something about it that really clicked i'm glad i got it um and the last thing this is a new uh short film that's on netflix if you haven't seen this man i want you to check it out it's only 12 minutes long it's actually like eight minutes because there's like three minutes of credits um but it's called if anything happens i love you thanks um, mike yeah and, and then watch the movie um uh, <laughs> but um it's it's very sad it's the title oh, kind no. of the title kind of warns you honestly uh it's if anything happens i love you can't be a good start right it's not usually no. something you would say if like everything's going very smooth and fine <laughs> like hey just so you know and i still love you right um but i i really it hit hard in a lot of ways um but it was it was definitely worth watching and i was i was already this had popped up on my radar and i read the synopsis and i was interested and then one of my students messaged me uh even though they're on thanksgiving break but they watched it and they wanted me to watch it um and so i i took that uh i was like well it's not a lot to ask for me to watch a 12 minute movie so i'm gonna watch the 12 minute movie and i watched it um last night uh and was man it hit real hard um lastly though the two other things i've been watching are some tv stuff um i i'm a big uh batman fan as you know matt and yes, so um Pokemon. in in all reality as much as i love batman i've always been a bigger robin fan because as a kid i watched the adam west uh burt ward batman uh tv show <laughs> yeah. and as a kid there was always a hope that you could be maybe i couldn't be batman maybe i could be robin keeping in mind never would have thought like you had to be an orphan for that to happen that was never on my radar it was just like the idea that i could be a sidekick right that was <laughs> yeah. always my hope and so I've always loved the Robin character. I've loved Dick Grayson. I, I'm actually, I, I love, um, I'm going to 
draw a blank now, but um, uh, Drake uh, is my favorite. Uh, Tim Tim Drake, I'm pretty sure, which is mm-hmm. the third Robin, is my favorite of the Robins. Um, as much as I love Grayson, but I also am a huge Nightwing fan. And so, uh, as a comic book reader, I've always been a fan of Titans. I love the original Cartoon Network Teen Titans show. I love the Young Justice show. Um, I mostly hated Teen Titans Go, except for the movie. I actually think the movie's really funny and underrated. Um, but uh, the TV show Titans dropped on the DC Universe streaming service like two years ago, and I wasn't. It didn't look great, and uh, I wasn't going to get the DC Universe to watch it, kind of thing. It is now included with HBO Max. And so I was like, you know what? Uh, I, I heard that season three is in the works. And in season three, we're going to get the Red Hood, who's a character I also really loved. That's the second uh, second Robin, um, Jason, Todd, Jason Todd. And so I was like, all right, if I'm going to watch season three, I got to watch the rest of the series. So I've made it through all of season one. And I think I'm two episodes into season two. It's not great. It's ah. got some good moments, though. I have to, as much as there are problems, and there are some problems, the biggest of which is the writing. Some of the dialogue is so bad. Um, it is, I don't know if you've ever caught, like, The Flash or Arrow on CW, um, but for the most part, the writing is is solid on those shows, but they, it has that CW high school kind of drama vibe to it. Yeah, yeah. That can wear on you, especially after, like, three or four seasons. We're like, God, are these guys ever going to grow up? Like, they're all, like, 25 now. Like, stop whining about everything. Um Titans is worse than that in a lot of the dialogue. It's 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 like it's like t- TV movie lifetime movie type dialogue where everything feels very like on the nose exactly how I feel dialogue and mm-hmm. um but there are some really good performances. I actually I don't know any of the actors names and I'm not going to look them up, but uh, the actor who's playing Dick Grayson I love. I think he is fantastic. I really I don't love the portrayal of Robin because they they go real uber violent and because it's it's a streaming service they went with they're like we're going to curse like crazy. Um, I remember it, the trailer when it came out. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's they curse a lot. Um, they have avoided nudity, but there's been some like moments of like very like sexual, like not quite to the level of a Game of Thrones type of scene, but like it's you know obviously again there's no nudity, but like as far as like the sexual interactions, but um there are some really good episodes, there are some really good moments, and I am I am attached to the characters beforehand enough that I want to keep watching this because it's a cool version of uh, it's a version of characters that I love that I otherwise wouldn't have. So I'm, I'm yeah. I wouldn't say everyone should watch this. If you're a big fan and you just want content with these characters, because a lot of these characters have not been seen outside of cartoons. So like seeing like live action versions of them have been a lot of disappointment because they don't have the budget. Like beast boy is in the, in Titans. They have not called him beast boy and I'm in season two. Um, but they've only like really used him like four times because of the, the, I imagine it's very costly to have a character turn into an animal, right? Like, so they just don't have the budget to do it. So they find ways to like keep him out of the battles and stuff. And that's kind of, that's kind of the, the MO for the most part season two, you can definitely tell they picked up the budget a little bit. And they also, I think they picked up some writers because they are retconning the hell out of season one. Like they are, (laughs) they are a good time. Yeah, they're they're making a lot of changes and also like they're building um backstory from the comics a lot to like I feel like the first season was acting as though the Titans had never existed in season 2 they're like no no there was a Titans before this is a rebuilding of a new team um and I'm like mm, you definitely didn't say that in season mm-hmm. 1 like I I am I'm 100% positive the word Titans was never uttered through season 1 and in episode 1 of season 2 they are dropping Titans like it was the norm in the first season <laughs> I'm like hmm, here we are something seems wrong uh but 
overall, um, I am still, I can't, I'm hooked. I'm going to finish season two for sure. Uh, and, um, the other thing I started, sorry, I, I didn't mean to go that deep into Titans, but I, I've, no, so I've watched a lot of hours of Titans cause it's like an hour long episode <laughs> at least. And there's like 11 episodes in season one. Um, and I'm pretty sure season two is just doing whatever it wants with the episode length. I feel like one was like an hour and a half. Like I, I was like, this can't still be on. There's no way I'm still watching the same episode, but <laughs> um, it's okay. If it's good. Yeah. And it wasn't bad. Um, but I finally, uh, I needed something lighter the other night. So I started the Animaniacs reboot on uh, a nice dude. I loved Animaniacs as a kid. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it, I was like 13 when they started, but they, to me, it was always like, it was geared towards like teenagers. Cause it's a little angstful. There's a lot of allusions and references to things that like a little kid could watch, but they won't get those things. But teenagers are going to be like, Oh wow. You know, it makes you feel smart. Like an adult, like you're on the inside of the joke kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Animaniacs. The, the reboot is, it's so perfect for me. I don't know if it's perfect for everybody. It has a lot of political commentary um, and not so subtle ways. Uh, there's a whole scene where they're kind of redoing the Odyssey a bit. And uh, Polyphemus is a hundred percent, a hundred percent our president, um, our current president. Um, president. Yeah. If you're not familiar with Polyphemus, that is the Cyclops in the Odyssey. And oh man, uh, that scene had me cracking up. But um, there's been a lot of stuff like that. It's it's the Animaniacs. They're doing exactly what they've always done. There's a lot of meta commentary, a lot of jabs and jokes at the uh, the industry. Um, I I've had a blast watching it. I, I think I watched six or seven episodes. I don't know how many for sure. I'm assuming there's twelve. Um, I've not watched all of them. If you are a fan of the old show, uh, it's definitely worth watching. The one thing, um, as of like episode six or whatever, uh, the only other characters from the original series that have been used are Pinky and the Brain, which have been on every episode. They have like their little sub episode. But on the last episode I watched, they do reference the other characters and kind of have an explanation as to why they had not been on there yet. Uh, if you're familiar with the show, it was a lot of like little vignettes where you had the, the mm-hmm. Warner brothers and the sister dot. Um, but then you'd have like the pigeons who were like gangsters. And then you had slappy, the squirrel. And there was all these other kind of like side cartoons that you would cut to in the old school Looney Tune type fashion, where it wasn't the Looney Tunes. You would have a bug bunny cartoon. You have a, you know, uh, wow. Porky cartoon, Donald or oops, sorry. Daffy cartoon, whatever. It's similar. And so that's been uh, noticeably missing um, with the exception of, again, Pinky in the Brain. But uh, I'm wondering if the later episodes are going to start adding some more characters because of the episode I just saw where they kind of reference it, again, being very meta in in the commentary. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's definitely worth watching. If you have a Hulu subscription already and you were a fan, I'd say give them a chance. They're worth uh, checking out. Pinky and the Brain. I love Pinky yes. I like Pinky in the Brain as well. I haven't checked out the Animaniacs reboot, but I, I will do soon. You said you wanted some license to watch. Uh, American Murder, The Family Next Door. Ah, yes. set you up for your Thanksgiving week. That sounds great. Um, sounds like well, a hoot, doesn't it? It, it is. Uh, it's a hoot and a half. Um, that said, that's what we've been consuming. So lastly, before we leave, we have to work hard to keep ourselves going for this podcast. We don't just wake up in the morning and put our pants on one leg at a time and then do a podcast folks. That's not how it works. It's not fair to you. It's not fair to us. We have too big of a commitment. We want to know Matt, how we are staying bloody awesome week after week. So what have you been doing since our last episode to keep saying at this level, at this peak of awesomeness? Tell me, sir, Uh, this Zenith level, 
I also laughing at obviously pants mean something different over here. So the oh. idea of putting my underwear on one leg at a time compared to your trousers is great. Um, <laughs> just, just remember that. Um, yeah, it is tough, man. But I mean, other than I know John, uh, John's already told us what he's doing. He woke up at 6.30 a.m. to watch Hillbilly Elegy. But mine is I've been I've been busting out the slow cooker. Literally, it sits on my side in the kitchen looking at me longingly all year, saying, please use me, for God's sake, I'm here. And every now and then I do. But now, it's England's, it's a little bit colder, well, than it usually is, anyway. The heating's on, The it gets the sun, sunsets like 4pm over here now, so it gets dark quickly, it's cold. Slow cooker's coming out, and it's a great, it's like, right, what can I put in there? As Palpatine would say, everything. Put everything in there. It's great. So I was aware yesterday. I made a, I made a curry in the other day. Love a curry over here. Um, mm. What do we have today? A sausage casserole. Again, throw everything in there. Tomorrow, like during the rest of the week, it's like tuna, pasta. Make soup out. Make some soup in there. Um, and the best part is, I always I can't calculate like how much to put in. So I'm, I'm always left with about five days worth of leftovers. So it's great. Oh, man. Stick them in the freezer. Bosh, done. There's a meal for another, or lunch for another day or something. So, but just that man, just enjoying the. And also, I can drop uh, my daughter off at school at nine a.m. Pretty much, come home ten minutes later, stick something in a slow cooker, and I, and that's me done till for eight hours to quarter past five, half past five. Done. Dinner's done. Great. So I've been staying bloody awesome by busting out a slow cooker, actually giving myself more time during the day to you know try and maintain these levels. And watch things like American Murder, The Family Next Door. But yeah, busting out the slow cooker, enjoying that, having some good food and spending a lot less time doing it. But uh, that's me, food again. But what about yourself, my friend? I went with my family uh, on Monday. Um, my wife was off and my daughter, of course, is also on uh, Thanksgiving vacation like myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so we went to a local um, historical landmark slash walking park i don't know what to call it it's not technically a theme park but it's called it's a contemplative tower. garden um it is in fact uh it has this giant tower it, it's the highest point in in florida um and this giant tower that is a uh i forget clarion bell tower i believe is what it's called so it's these uh giant bells that you can are played kind of like a piano i've actually um uh, because of the school that i teach at i've 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 been one of the few um non-graduates because i teach mm-hmm. there to get to walk into the tower, go all the way to the top and everything. Um, which I did at a time when that was really hard for me to do. I would kind of, I don't think we're going to get to do it this year because of COVID, but, um, I would kind of want to do it again now that I'm in shape and I could actually probably walk up the stairs and not almost die. (laughs) Um, Carolyn bells. But yeah, uh, it was cool because like when we were there, they let the students like bang on the bells, which cannot be enjoyable for the people in the park because they don't know why <laughs> the bells sound awful all of a sudden because um, they do like big concerts and stuff where like uh, it's not big concerts. It's like it's just happens like three or four times a day, but they play songs and it's really it's beautiful. Um, mm-hmm. There's tons of like nature and uh, gardens and things. And there's this old house that they usually would decorate for Christmas. You can tour and see all these cool. They do each room in a different theme. It's always awesome. Uh, this year, they're not doing that, obviously. Um, but it's, it's out in, it's out in the open. So it's, it's mostly safe. Uh, you know, you can, it's easy to socially distance if most people are wearing masks and stuff. Um, I mean, you can avoid them if they're not. Um, but we, my, uh, it's a tradition. My wife loves to take pictures of our daughter. We've done it, um, usually three to four times a year. We like every holiday, my wife will buy a dress or something for my daughter. And in the, when she was young, my wife would, you know, put her, do her hair and then we'd go take pictures. Mm-hmm. 
No, and my daughter's daughter's sixteen now, so she gets to kind of dictate more of the action. But apparently, <laughs> she really enjoys doing this still. Um, and so, you know, basically, we went to take pictures. So we walked around for about an hour. And my daughter's like way overdressed uh, because she's in, a, you know, she's getting her pictures taken and stuff. And it's of course. she's got like big heels on, so it's not comfortable for her to walk like on the the dirt road, dirt paths and stuff. But she's insisting uh, that's what she wants to do. Um, and so we took a bunch of pictures, and then we uh, we got lunch on our we picked up Subway uh, on our way home. Nice. Um, but it was a, it was a fun little outing. Um, you know, I again. Uh, two years ago, this was, it was a nightmare for me because it's hot outside. Any, well, actually yesterday was kind of gorgeous, but still like mm. physical activity outside meant I was going to be sweating like massively. Um, and so I still like, I wore like gym shorts and a, and a gym shirt, like, you know, ready to like, if I start sweating, cause I'm, I'm still walking around I'm exercising. Uh, but I, I didn't partly cause it was cool outside, uh, for us, it was like in the seventies. And then also, cause I'm in much better shape than I've, I've usually been. So it was nice just being out with the family and being outside. And, uh, the only thing that I didn't enjoy yesterday at Bach Towers was in the middle of the day and 70 degree weather, we were getting attacked by mosquitoes. No, which is not usually when mosquitoes attack in Florida, usually at night near water, you're, you're, you're doomed. If, if you're not wearing something to like prevent them from coming at you. Uh, very rarely have I ever, you know, been, I've been to Bach Tower many times. I've never been attacked by mosquitoes and it, they were like massive, like, I don't know if you ever saw the uh, Will Ferrell like remake of the uh, the old TV show that isn't going to come to me. The not Land Before Time, something about time, Land of the Lost. That's what it's called. No, I didn't see that. No, ah, there's a mosquito scene in that movie that I was like in my brain, like this. These are those mosquitoes. These are these gigantic, <laughs> blood sucking mosquitoes. It's um, like the birds, but mosquitoes. Yes, it was. But so that was unpleasant. Um, but it wasn't horrible. But it was still like it was a. a it's a problem that you don't expect to encounter in the middle of the day uh especially a cool day here in florida so that kind of was a stinky part of it but otherwise we had a good time um and we got some good pictures of my kid so um i won't be posting those on my instagram but they exist uh they're out there yeah um not for you to find stop being weirdos don't try to look at my daughter um so that said, uh, we're going to end the episode because Matt and I have revealed our secrets to saying this awesome. And we want to talk about next week's episode, which I am stoked for. Uh, we have said in the past, this show is becoming more of a Netflix review show than we've ever wanted it to be. Um, but that's where movies keep dropping that we can watch. And this one, I don't know, listeners, if you saw The Christmas Chronicle in 2018. But all I have to tell you, if you haven't seen it, don't even bother to look it up. Just know kurt russell as santa claus and that's all you need because i love kurt russell i love santa claus boom put them together and you got one awesome santa claus and i am so excited to see christmas chronicle 2 where i also believe we're supposed to get more of mrs claus which the the movie did a really cool thing and cast his wife goldie hahn as mrs claus so how awesome um i'm very excited to see this one i don't know there were i wasn't the first one's not perfect, but I love Kurt Russell as Santa Claus so much. I was willing to overlook any shortcoming that movie had. Um, so I'm very excited to check this one out. Matt, what about you? Oh, man, the first one was great fun. I sat down and watched it with the eldest. My, and we had a good time watching it. It's a Christmas film. Don't, you, you, know what, it's you, know, you know what the story's going to be. Yep. There's going to be trouble at Christmas. You've got to save Christmas. Funnily enough, that's what the film's about. And it works. A lot of that is based on the charisma of Kurt Russell and the fact, like you say, it's Kurt Russell. And I can't wait to check out. The... Guys, if you haven't seen the first one, also, as Palpatine would say, do it. Do it. Go <laughs> watch it. So then you can come in and listen to our Christmas Chronicles 2 
uh, non-spoiler, review next week and you know what the hell we're talking about because we probably actually will be referencing that first film somewhat. So do yeah. go and watch it. It's a great, fun family, fun, festive family time. But I can't wait for next week, man. Yeah, Santa in prison. Best scene in that movie. Um, the original. <laughs> All right. So with that, uh, where can you find us on social media? Matt, what about Twitter? Where are we? Uh, on the Bluebird, you could find us at BAMP underscore podcast. B-A-M-P underscore podcast. Check out some of our fleets. I don't know if we're actually going to oh. do that. Um, IG, we're on the old Instagram, Bloody Awesome Movie Pod. And of course, if you're still on Facebook, you can search Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast. Uh, who knows what other social medias we might join. Maybe Matt will start TikToking in his pants. Um, individual <laughs> socials. Uh, you can find Jeez. us individually. Um, if you just want to know what we're doing uh, other than this podcast, um, you can follow me at Burke Reviews at BurkeReviews.com. Uh, but just at Burke Reviews, Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd. Matt, what about you? Uh, you find me in on TikTok in my pants dancing. <laughs> uh, if we did that, we'd have no listeners. Trust me. <laughs> you can find me what I watch tonight or go to UK. Twitter, Instagram, what I watched tonight and same for letterbox as well. And if you like what we're doing, we ask that you take just a moment on whatever podcast provider you use to rate and review us. It helps other listeners find the show and then expand our horizons as we need to do. So with that, we encourage you to keep watching movies and stay bloody awesome. Blood, 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 blood,